Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up? You ever played Plants vs. Zombies? I think so. I don't know why. I think so. It sounds very familiar. Is it a first-person shooter game, or is it like a role-playing game? You're basically planting things in the ground, and these zombies are coming in, and each level you get a new power-up, so you get a new seed that kind of attacks these zombies, but then... As the levels progress, the zombies get harder. They have more tricks up their sleeves and you're trying to get them to not come into your house. And you have the last resort of like, there's these lawnmowers that if they happen to go through all of your plants and your plants didn't kill these zombies, the lawnmower will run them over. Anyways, the reason why I brought this up is I played that game a lot when it came out. And now my kids are old enough to kind of understand this game. And so we played that over the weekend. Nice. And it was very fun. And they love it. And they're like, we like it more than Minecraft. Oh, uh, I love Minecraft. <laughs> Those types of zombie games, that kind of like genre has solidified across like a few different games. And there's a version of that in Call of Duty Zombies where every level there's more zombies, you get power-ups, better guns. And mm-hmm. one time I went home for Christmas right after I graduated from college with my girlfriend at the time. And we were flying to New York City and stopped by my hometown. And I played that game with my brother, Zombies game. And I hadn't played video games for a long time. And he whooped my butt. And I just remember, <laughs> I thought I had gotten past video game rage at that point in my life. But as I'm sitting there next to my mother and next to my girlfriend, I am losing my brains. Getting my butt kicked by my little brother. But these days, me and my little brother play together, which is a lot nicer because he's better than me. That's good. I like co-op games versus competitive for those reasons. So what would you call that type of game? It's like a shooter game, kind of. It's like a strategy. Yeah, it's a strategy, yeah. It's very much like a strategy game, and it can be intermixed with shooting style games, depending on which... The one you're playing doesn't have shooting, right? Oh, the plants shoot at the thing. Right, but like I, but, you're but not the character shoot. shooting. Yeah, right. We're so not, that's yeah, more of a strategy a, game. Yeah, strategy. So there's strategy, there's shooting, but shooting is also RPG, right? Shooting can be RPG. I like a lot of first-person shooters. So like I used to play a lot of Call of Duty and then I played a lot of Battlefield and now I'm back to playing Call of Duty again, which I'm very good at. <laughs> Dust soft shoulders. <laughs> and Call of Duty is more of a first-person shooter yes. game? Okay, yes. so that's like Halo. Yes. Because that's what I played in the past. But then I also played StarCraft. Yeah, I played StarCraft. StarCraft. Yeah, it's called StarCraft. I've played that too, but that's more like a strategy game. Right. I played all sorts of games, but my attention is much better on like the first-person shooters because it's like quick, <laughs> dopamine, Yeah. done. Yeah. So... But that sounds fun. I imagine it would be a lot of fun to have those games that you really enjoyed. And then all of a sudden your kids like them and you're like, sweet, I know about this. It's so nostalgic. Yeah, Yeah, I bet. So I played a lot of games, but they're all kind of silly, like the Plants vs. Zombies. But we also played a lot of Guitar Hero and Rock Band in college. Uh, Anyway, I'm waiting until they're kind of old enough to have that coordination to be able to play that with us. Yeah, let's see. I played rock band. My parents didn't let me play Guitar Hero, but one of my best friends at the time had rock band. I don't remember when those were out. I think it was out well, when I was we younger. Guitar Hero release. This is going to turn into a video game episode. <laughs> Guitar Hero was released in 2005. And oh, okay. Guitar Hero is older, I think. Rock band release. Rock band came out yeah. in 2000. I knew it was like between 2000 and 2010. Why could you not play Guitar Hero, but you could play rock band? I don't know. 
I wasn't allowed to watch Harry Potter, so. But Rock Band and Guitar Hero are like the same thing. The difference is that the cartoon people, there are none on Rock Band, I don't think. On Guitar Hero, there's a lot of cleavage showing on the animated people, I think. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I'm pretty sure that was the reason at the time. Whether that's actually true or not, I don't really remember. I just know they didn't have a problem with Rock Band. And I never had Rock Band because I had a Wii when I was younger because my parents wouldn't let us have Playstations. (laughs) So I grew up on like the Wii and like Nintendo. So that's why I am goaded at Mario Kart. That was my all-time game. I uh, did play a lot of Mario Kart. And that is a game that my kids can play with me, which is really fun. Yeah. Mario Kart will always be fun to me. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm starting a new project at work and I was telling you a little bit about it. But I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I'm just going to reiterate. I met with the person we're working on this project with today. And like one of the things we were talking about the way we like to work and things that we do like to do and don't like to do. And I was telling her how it's best to communicate with me and she was doing the vice versa. And I told her at the very end, I was like, hey, by the way, I view this as like an us thing. If I screw up or you screw up, like it's like, I will never throw you under the bus. I'll never say, oh yeah, you messed this up. It's like, we messed this up. We will fix it. And I want to just talk about that again, just because I think that's important to be like, to let people know that you have their back and to tell them it's okay to talk to you and that you want to have good communication and that you want them to communicate you with you a certain way. And I think that's kind of important. And I came out of that call, like energized to be working with her. So just wanted to talk about that. And we're starting something new. So have you worked with her before in the past or what prompted this? Okay. So So you were trying to do get to... We switch off, we have kind of like smaller teams at Podia. So people are usually split into groups of two, sometimes maybe one, maybe sometimes bigger. But we like to do teams of two, I think, primarily. So she and I are going to be working on several different projects, but she is my partner in crime for the next few months, I think. Wait, I kind of want to dive into this a little bit more deeply. So how is your organizational structure? Are there teams and you have a manager that you report to and your manager has a number of people, but then when you work on projects, they're different people? So you work at a much bigger company than me. Okay. Podi is a lot smaller and we don't have any project managers. We have one designer and our CEO is kind of like the project person, I guess. Like he is the one who decides what projects are going to be doing And then he basically works in tandem with our CTO and our designer and our lead developer, which is Jason, to kind of plan out the projects and who's going to be working on what. From what I understand, I've never really cared about the process to ask about. Just because like for me, I used to have to be really involved in projects, in the planning and the prioritization of them. And I like it much better at Podia where... I fully, completely trust Spencer's vision of the company. And Spencer is like, here's what we're going to be working on. And I'm like, cool, this is what I'm going to be working on. And I don't feel the need to question his priorities at all. That's why I say when I don't really care, it's more like because I trust the way they're doing it, I haven't felt the need to be like, oh yeah, how do they do this? And how do they do that? Because I'm not involved with that process and I don't need to be. So that's kind of like a nice out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. So the project, they're all decided. And then it's usually groups, teams of two, like I just said, but one person is designated the champion of the project. So I'm not the champion of this project. My coworker is. But what her role basically is, is that we use Basecamp for project management. And she's basically going to be creating tasks that we will be working on together, basically directing me what we need to work on before we start our project. Maybe that is helpful. 
we already know the direction we're going. We already have our instructions. We already have our goal. So that stuff, when I said I didn't care, that's the process that I don't have as much insight into and don't need to, because by the time it comes to me, it's already packaged up of like, this is what we're going to be doing. This is what our goal is. This is who you're going to be working with. And this is what we want you to accomplish. And then within our team, we have a lot more autonomy, I guess. So we decide, we basically do some of the architecture, we make some decisions and we start planning and then working on tasks to push the project forward. And then every week we will have a project meeting. So like a short 30 minute meeting with me and my teammate. And then you always our designer who is kind of like the intermediary product person, because we usually like, Hey, this didn't work out or we're having trouble implementing this. And then he will work with us to kind of find either a better solution or decide on a solution that we want to do with. And then our CTO, Jamie or Jason is usually in the call and sometimes our CEO too. So it's kind of just like with the top level planning people, we kind of discuss what we're doing, where we've gotten so far, issues we're having. And then if we need to discuss anything, that's our time to either discuss with Jason or Jamie, either technical problems that we're having or technical things that we want to talk about, or our designer about implementation and interface and things like that. So first of all, how many engineers are there at Podia? 10 or 11, maybe 12, 13, something like that. Under 15, I think. Okay. And then... When you have teams of two to work on a project, do you get code reviews from each other or do you get them from outside of your team? So it really depends on how you view code review, like as a culture. Typically, we review each other's code unless there is something about the context of the change that warrants someone else. But I think that's also like a personal decision to a degree of trying to decide who is the best person to review this code. If you and I pair on a feature all day long, And the next day I finish it and ask you to review it. Like we built it together. You might miss some things or I might miss some things. So maybe in that instance, it's better to ask for someone else to review it. But at the same time, asking someone to do code review carries with it consequences and context and that person's time as well. So typically, yes, we just have each other review each other's code. But when I think that the change needs to be looked at with someone with more context, I will then make a decision about who that best person review that is. So if I'm in a part of the code that incredibly well, then I might have you review it, even though you're not on my project, because I'm like, you're the expert of this code. You are the best person to know whether these things will work in this situation. But because you don't have context, and I do, and my partner does, it's typically us reviewing each other's code. So are there people at... Podia that are kind of like experts at particular code bases? Like, do you have a section of the code base that people go to you for? Yes. So what we also do is we kind of track that as well of who's experts in what part of the code base. So there's actually, we have an internal document I could go to and be like, oh, Andrew Mason is one of the experts in the checkout because he helped rebuild it. So I'm going to go to him for this checkout related issue. That's also a way for like during support week, which I'm on right now, If I'm in like a part of the code where I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. Granted, I might be able to figure it out, but if I need something and it's like during a critical path, we don't track everything, right? It's more like the critical paths of our checkout and this and that and certain things that people who have more domain over are, their name is kind of under on our internal document. So yes, we do have people who are experts in certain pieces of the code. That being said, we try to share as much information as possible so that kind of mitigate the bus factor. The bus factor is if someone gets hit by a bus and they disappear, what would happen to what they were working on and the things that they're responsible for? Is that a your team thing or is that like a, a general? No, that's the thing. The oh, really? Okay. I have not heard of that before. Yeah. 
people don't usually say the bus factor. What they usually say is if I get hit by a bus, I want to make sure that this still works or whatever. But yeah, to just minimize the bus factor. <laughs> I mean, I think that's also why working on teams at two is really helpful. And it's not just me only working on a specific piece of the code. Like I'm about to be doing some React work and you know me, I don't know React very well. It's not my favorite thing in the whole world. So I'm not an expert in this at all and I'm going to be learning a lot. But now after this project, I will have a lot more context over this piece of the code. So we do have experts, but not so much that they are siloed. Got it. Is a team of two usually like a backend and a front-end person or it just varies? We have all full stack at Podia because we don't have enough teammates to be like, you're only front-end and you're only back-end. But that being said, we have some developers who are really gifted on the front end and some who are really gifted on the back end. And because of that, they may be assigned more to front end related projects, but that also could be because they like that type of work more. But to answer your question, no, we do not have a back end and a front end engineer. We just have two full stack engineers who have may have varying degrees of experience. And that varying degree of experience doesn't matter on who's the champion or who's leading the project. Okay. Do you do a lot of peering? So for example, this new project that you're going to be working on, does it depend on the person? Yes, it does depend on the person. So like for the last few months, I've been working on a big project on our email stuff. And the person I was working on, we paired every day. Sometimes she and I would pair for hours a day. And I really like doing that. And she has much more of like my personality. So like we were able to do that and that worked very well. And this morning I had a meeting with my new project person and we talked about that pairing level and she was like, I don't think I can pair as long, but I want to pair every day. And I'm like, perfect. Cause that's what I enjoy. If you're like most devs, too much of your time gets sucked up with downtime issues, troubleshooting and error tracking. How can you spend more time shipping code and less time putting out fires? Honey Badger is how it's a suite of monitoring tools specifically for devs. It's the only system that combines error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron and heartbeat monitoring into a clean, fast interface. You won't know if HoneyBadger will really save you time and trouble until you see how it works in your toolchain. With two lines of code and five minutes, you can see for yourself. HoneyBadger automatically hooks into popular web frameworks, job systems, authentication libraries, and front-end JavaScript. Imagine fixing errors before your users can even report them. Five minutes of your time with the free trial is all it takes to see if it will work for you. It just might be the best five minutes you've spent in a while. Check out honeybadger.io. So I'm kind of thinking, how did you get your codes reviewed if you did so much pairing? Let me ask you a question. If you and someone else work on code together, would you think that because you two worked on it together, it may not need as a thorough of a review than if they had just worked on it and you were reviewing it. I would say probably does not need as thorough of a review, but at the same time, I'm just thinking, what if you rely on the other person to not miss something and now something might be missed because you're both thinking and talking about the same thing and you both forgot something else that maybe if one person came at it fresh and looked at the code, then they're like, oh yeah, what about this thing? Let me ask you another question. What is the purpose of code review? I think it's to catch some edge cases that the original person may not have been thinking about. And then, yeah, basically that. So when you review code, do you pull their code down and test it? We have a preview environment and we test it through there. So if you were to send me a pull request, there's a few assumptions I'm going to make. Different reviewers do it different ways. 
And so I'm not saying this is the way to do it. This is the way I'm currently doing it. If you send me a pull request, I'm going to assume that your code works. Because if it doesn't, you shouldn't have sent me a pull request. You should send me a message and be like, hey, I need some help. The first assumption I'm going to make is that, and I'm glad that you didn't say syntax because that is something a lot of people think is like, oh yeah, they're going to catch the bugs in my code. And to me, that's not what the purpose of code review is. The purpose of code review for me is to number one, make sure you're doing the right thing. Number two, to protect the integrity and the architecture of the code base. To me, the purpose of code review isn't necessarily to catch a single bug because I can't just necessarily look at your code and see a bug. What I can do is I can look at your code and see how something may not work or how something you are assuming may not work. But if we're doing it together, then there's that back and forth questioning of will it work this way? What about this? A lot of that happens during the pairing. So I don't, I'm not saying that code pushed up by two people is better than one pushed up by one. I don't think anything is lost by me and you working on code together and then me coming back the next morning. If you're the owner of the PR, then me coming back the next morning and reviewing it with a fresh head. That's a good point. It all depends on why you want to do code review or what the purpose is. And I'm assuming that you all have maybe similar experience level. Yeah, to a degree. Jason's obviously had much more experience than me. There's several people who have much more experience than me, but there's people who've had less experience than me. Oh, okay. I guess, and maybe this doesn't exactly come out of code review, but I tend to ask people, is this the right approach? When I'm thinking like, there's a couple of different ways we can do this. I don't know maybe which way is the most efficient way, or is this the typical way of solving something? Because sometimes in our code base, a legacy old code base, there might be a couple of different ways that we're doing something. And it's not like, what kind of convention are we trying to right. head towards or that pattern that we want to go with? So stuff like that. And then also I do a lot of pairing myself and the way that you have your teams and the way that you do code reviews is a little bit different for you than it is for us. Cause we have say my immediate team is a team of four and we all kind of work on the same projects together. And when it comes time for a code review, we tag our team and whoever is available or maybe has more knowledge in that code base can then review that code. So a lot of times when I do pair, it's people outside of my team because I do a lot of backend work for our team and it's through other services that our team doesn't really own. And so I pair with people that own those services. And then when I bring it back, it's kind of like a learning experience for everybody so that they can kind of see how we do things in another repository. Yeah. The type of code review that you kind of, describe, it's not round robin Whereas in it's kind of like randomly selected from a small group, but it almost is. And the reason why I don't like doing that is because that almost always leads to one person being the primary code reviewer on a small team like that. There's usually one person who is slightly more experienced, slightly more this, slightly more that, and they end up getting a lot more code review assigned to them than other people. And I've seen that on an extreme level where the team is much bigger and there's really only one person that you can trust. And so everyone is having that one person review it. That's not great, right? Because like we've talked about, code review is taxing. Just because someone's a senior doesn't mean that they have the context of your project. But what you guys are doing sounds like it works. Small team like that usually works. But the bigger you get, the reason why I don't like, ran like not randomize, but it's like, hey, whoever can grab this, it's because of that. There's usually one person that ends up doing a completely different amount of code review than other people. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess also in our situation, I tend to do a lot of back end work. I know front end, but I'm not as fast in front end. So when there is code to be reviewed, they're mostly all front end because I'm the one doing the back end stuff. And so there's a lot of context switching between what I'm working on and then switching to a whole new feature that I'm not as familiar with. So you're right. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot more time than just looking at code. It's I need to now understand what this feature is doing and what do I need to know about this particular thing. So PRs that have kind of a detailed description with a nice overview is super helpful in that case. But Yeah. One thing we do at Podia is we have a section on our PR template called areas of interest. And I do this a little bit differently because I'll go in and add my own review comments on my code and be like, hey, I want someone to specifically look at this. I don't know if this is correct. Or I want someone to specifically give me some advice on this part. And we also might leave that in the form of, in our um, PR description of like, hey, this is an area of interest. I want someone reviewing the code to specifically look at this part. That helps me as a reviewer a lot too, because I talked about this with someone yesterday. If you give me like a two file PR, I'm going to be able to review that well. If you give me a 60 file change PR with a thousand lines difference, I'm going to skim it and tell you it's fine. And there's some saying about that, but that's very true for how I work. So small PRs that are very specific can also help with that when you have people in your team reviewing code that don't have the full context of like, hey, this is a very small PR. It does this, this, and this, that's it. And just be very atomic about it. That's a lot easier review. Yeah, I think you're referring to when you make a small change Everybody has something to say about it. And then when you have a very large change, everyone's cool. Ship it. Yes. Well, that's because you have so much context that it's like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. So I think it's the same way in the code review. It's if you just keep that in mind, told someone this yesterday, I was like, think about the code review that you would want to receive as if you would want to be tagged on. If you would not want to be tagged for review on your own PR, then Mm -hmm. that is your sign that something needs to change. Yeah, that makes sense. But that's kind of how the teams work at Podia. So a lot smaller than your teams, it sounds like. Yeah, I think at some point we had 70 or so engineers. Oh, wow. So way bigger. Yeah, and we have a a lot of teams. I do a lot Mm -hmm. of kind of cross-team pairing so that I'm able to tap into what the other teams are working on. And sometimes it's been super helpful because things that either I work on or other people work on gets raised as being related in a way to ours and that kind of helps us catch these edge cases before you right. building it. Yeah, especially if you're working on different services. Podia is nice because Podia is basically a monolith. We have a few small services, but they're very, very small. So we don't have to do a lot of that. And our front end and back end aren't separate. So we don't have to be like, hey, I need all these GraphQL variables or whatever. So that allows us to work a little bit differently than it sounds like you're working. But there's definitely benefits to both. It sounds like you're getting a lot of cross... Like you're going to be exposed to a lot more things. And I feel like that has always made me a better engineer. Yeah, that's fair. So I think we were originally talking about starting on new projects or starting on a new team. And I feel like starting on a new team, like you're learning all these different processes and it it is almost like starting a new job where you're kind of getting to know the different people that you're working with or the different processes that are already currently in place. You can also bring some of your knowledge and your processes that worked for you into this new team. Yeah, it's opportunity. I think as long as everyone has the right attitude, although your comment about should people be, if you're pairing, should you review that other person's code? I'm going to have to be thinking about that. That's an interesting question, but I don't know. 
I don't know if it's right or wrong answer. Yeah. I think if you're okay with rolling things back, like I'm really like in the day, I'm okay with me creating a bug because I can fix it. And I know that I create small enough PRs that they can be fixed. They can be rolled back easily. So how do you find out about your bugs? Like a user has to experience it and then you realize it or. So we have error monitoring, but we also have a support team. So if a user finds a bug, that team will triage it and figure out what's happening. But what's great about Podia is it's usually not like a, oh my God, everything's on fire. Everyone stop what you're doing and fix this. I don't know if we've ever had that. So it's a lot more of like a streamlined process, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, I don't deploy things unless I'm sure they're going to work, which kind of like, I'm not going to send you code that I don't think is going to work. Maybe it might not be doing the right thing, but it's not going to be broken. Obviously mistakes happen, right? And we fix this. Anyway, we were talking about starting a new project. You're right. It does carry with it a lot of those same things as like starting a new job just on a more smaller level yeah well julie i think that's it for us i hope you have an awesome day and i hope everyone listening has an awesome day and we will see you all back here next week bye bye everyone